Chapter 3. Journey and Destination Man attains his unique identity when after having been enlightened by God that he is not only a committed but also a free person, endowed with power to implement his commitment, he grasps the incommensurability of what he is and what he is destined to be. Rabbi J.B. Soloveitchik Can we understand God's mind? Can we know what he's thinking when he created the world? Let's take a step back for a moment. If freedom and meaning are intertwined with connection to God, why would God create us on earth, a place so far removed from him? The ways of God are further compounded when considering his essence. God is perfect. He lacks nothing. Why should God create us at all? What benefit could God receive by creating man? The very notion of us mere mortals serving as beneficial to God would undermine God's perfection by implying that he needs something. We can solve this dilemma by understanding the parameters of God's perfection. Part of God's perfection is that he is perfectly good. This trait of perfect goodness lends itself to the desire of sharing that goodness with others. For it is the law of the good to do good. Hence, a perfectly good God who lacks nothing must have created man for man's benefit of receiving God's goodness. However, since God is not only good but perfectly good, this will not suffice. God's perfect goodness dictates that he does the maximum good possible and this implies that he should create man to share as many of his attributes as possible. This would make man as close to God as he could be. But there was a catch with this idea. For there's one attribute that appears to be non-transferable. God is a bestower of good, an active creator of good. Man is a passive recipient of that good. How can man possibly share this attribute of God's goodness if man's very creation and existence is the receiving of good? This creates a tension, for without the sharing of this attribute, there would be a fundamental difference between man and God, a vast chasm that would appear to be unbridgeable. This would implicate that God's creating, God's giving is restricted, like a classic catch-22. His very giving transforms his creation into a limited receiver. Closing the gap between God and man. To solve this dilemma, and to enable man to be a creator of goodness, God would need to provide man with the ability to choose equally between good and evil. Choice would become a defining feature of human dignity and completeness. If man chooses good, he is allowing for the creation of goodness by dismissing evil from staking its ground or vice versa. Hence, man becomes a creator of good in his own right and is close to God in this respect. Yet the mechanism through which God provides this choice sustains yet another dilemma. For God must distance himself from man to allow for the goodness-creating attribute to be obtained so that evil is seen as an option for man's choices. But man would now be far away from God's other attributes. Man can have distance and choice or closeness and no choice. He cannot have both. And either option limits God's gift to man. The two worlds. To solve this, God created man in a two-stage process. Stage one places man a distance away from God and allows man to become a God-like creator of goodness. Stage two 
removes the distance and allows man to get close to all of God's other attributes. Each stage requires a different environment. The environment for stage one is called this world, or Olam Hazer. The journey through this world is fueled by choice. In this world, God is distant and veils his face. In Hebrew, Hester Panim, hiding his essence. Though created and sustained by him, physical reality appears to take on an independent existence with God hiding behind this veil. Man can therefore choose to distance himself from God. Yet man can also choose to connect himself and draw closer to God as God is only hidden and not absent. Once man goes through this world, he's ready for stage two. The environment for stage two is called the world to come or the next world. In Hebrew, Olam Haba. There is no choice in the world to come. The reality of God will be so clear that no alternative will present itself. In the world to come, we will continue to grow, constantly getting closer and closer to the infinite God. However, this growth will not be determined by our choices. We will be attracted inexorably toward God, closer and closer, forever. Each environment, both this world and the next, is impeccably tailored for its purpose. This world is perfectly designed to give man a balance of choice between good and evil, between the sensual and the spiritual, between the impure and the holy. The world to come is perfectly designed for getting close to God in all other respects, the joy of which cannot be imagined. Between the Worlds The trajectory of mankind includes an additional stage, an intermediate stage between this world and the world to come. This is called the Messianic Era. The Messianic Era has characteristics of both worlds. The laws of nature will still function, economies will run and be developed, science will progress and there will still be different nations and peoples, each with a specific contribution to make. However, during this time, man will have such an acute sense of clarity about our purpose that will, there will be no viable alternative to following that purpose. Although we will still have the capacity for choice, man will not be attracted to anything other than connection with God. As Jeremiah put it, no longer will man teach his friend nor man his brother saying no God, for everyone will know me from the youngest to the eldest. In the Messianic era, the entire history of creation will be brought to a state of holistic completion what is known as the Tikkun HaKlali, the repairing of our fractured world. At this time, we will understand the world as a grand symphony where each person plays his or her part to produce the big picture of pure spirituality. Because everyone will have the same goal, there will be no wars, no arguments, and no tension between one person and the next. All of mankind will be dedicated to producing more and more spirituality. As the Messianic era unfolds, our understanding that everything connects back to God will become more and more profound. We will look back on all history and find that even when and where he seemed hidden, he was in fact completely behind all that happened and existed. Destination before journey. The final destination of complete and unadulterated closeness to God preceded all of creation. God indicates this in the very first verse of the Torah before the world began. The verse reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The Hebrew word for heavens, Shamayim, shares the same root as the word Sham, which means there. This suggests that the heavens are the ultimate there, the destination and goal. The Hebrew word for earth, Eretz, is etymologically related to the word Ratz, which means run, alluding to the purpose of the earth as the place in which we run and advance toward our goals. With this insight, the initial verse of the Torah translates as, In the beginning, God created the goals toward which man should aspire, as well as the means to achieve those goals. The chronology of the verse states that the heavens, or the goals, were created before the earth, or the means. God knew at the outset why he was creating the world. We too must know at the outset of our journey of life why we were created. For if we don't, we remain clueless as to where we need to go. Or to paraphrase the Cheshire Cat's wisdom from Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know where you are going, any road will take you there. The great Kabbalist of Safat, Rabbi Shlomo Alkabitz, referenced this concept in his famous composition, the Lecha Dodi song. The Kabbalists were known to go out to the fields surrounding Safat as the sun would set on Friday and sing Lecha Dodi to usher in the Shabbat. One of the stanzas concludes by saying, The end of the action was in the thought at the outset. God knew at the outset of his thought what the end of his action would be. On the Shabbat, when we take a step back and get our goals right, we too have an opportunity to see the horizon, the goals that will guide our actions, the vision that will propel us forward. That vision ought to inform everything else we do. As Michel de Montaigne, the French Renaissance philosopher, put it, the great and glorious masterpiece of man is, no, is to know how to live life in purpose.